me invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 8 this morning as we continue our study through this great book. Come to Revelation chapter 8. The deeper we get into this book, the more serious the questions become. When we began, we saw some pretty peculiar things. We saw the glorified Christ in a way we probably don't normally think about Him. And He is described with His hair as white as snow, eyes like a flame of fire, and His voice like the sound of many waters. And so questions arise in our mind and we think, what's going on with this vision of Christ? But they're simple, simply just questions and we leave them at that. Okay, they're, That must be the way that He appears before John and will appear before us. Then we get to chapters 2 and 3, and we have the letters to the churches in Asia Minor. And Jesus sends some pretty scathing messages to a few of these churches. He says to Ephesus, you have lost your first love. To Pergamum, he writes, you hold to the teaching of Balaam. To Thyatira, you tolerate Jezebel, this woman who is leading the church into immorality. To Thyatira, uh, to Laodicea, you are lukewarm. That is useless, and I will spit you out of my mouth, Jesus says. And we hear those things of the churches, and we think, wow, Christ is serious about doctrine and practice. But the book, and so we have questions in our mind as to what he's doing there, but, but it doesn't really shake us that much. We get to chapter 4, and we have the scene in heaven where we see God, John sees God, God in all of His glory sitting on His throne. And then chapter 5, He holds the scroll and, and no one is able to open this scroll except for one, the Lamb. And then the angels and, and John and others fall down and worship the Lamb. And so we look at these chapters and we think, wow, this is, this is amazing. But there aren't too many disturbing questions that arise in our minds. But then we come to chapter 6. And we see the tribulation begin. The first half of the tribulation with the first six seals being opened. And this time period is marked by a time of initially peace, but then war, famine, and death of 25% of the world's population. And we stop back, we step back for a second and we say, what is going on here? Where did God go? Did He stop reigning? Did He come off the throne for a little while while all these bad things are happening? Is is God still good? Has someone else taken over? And we come to the end of chapter 6. We see God's wrath. And we have to ask with the angels, who is able to stand? Who can stand in this day of wrath? And... I'm afraid that those difficult type questions will continue as we continue through this book of Revelation, at least until we get to the millennium. How can God do these things? What is God doing? How, how could all this catastrophe come upon the earth? And there are more disturbing images there are more disturbing, disturbing uh, prophecies, things that will happen here in Revelation chapter 8. 
Let me begin reading with verse 1. I'll read the entire chapter. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer. And much much incense was given to him so that he might add to it the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. The first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck so, the, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. And then I looked, and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. The tribulation is a time of God's judgment. And here in chapter 8, we're going to see that God's judgment continues on sin. Now, we, we, uh, two weeks ago when we looked at chapter 7, we saw that this was an interlude. This was a, a time of, of taking John away from the happenings on the earth. You see how it continues from chapter 6. If you look at chapter 6, verse 12, it says, I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and then John explains what the sixth seal did. And then all of chapter 7 is is talking about the 144,000 that will be sealed on the earth, that is, they'll be protected by God, and those who will be protected by God in heaven, the tribulation martyrs. So John is, is able to step back after seeing the first six seals, the first half of the tribulation, and, and now it continues with verse 1 of chapter 8, when the Lamb broke the seventh seal. Now, what you need to understand about these judgments that we're going to talk about today, at least the first four of these, these are called trumpet judgments. We saw the first six seal judgments in chapter 6. And that was where the Lamb had the scroll. He had taken it from the Father. He was the only one that was able to open this scroll. 
He's the only one who is counted worthy because he had he was slain, slain. He was a lamb that had given himself with with his blood. He's the only one to open these judgments. And inside, he unrolled, he broke one seal, unrolled part of the scroll, looked at it, and read it apparently. And what was on the scroll is what happens in each of these judgments. First, peace. And then war. Then famine. Then the fourth of the world is, is killed. Okay, He opens each one of these scrolls. He gets to the seventh scroll. And what you need to understand about these... Or the seventh seal, excuse me. What you need to understand about these seals, the seventh seal particularly, this seventh seal includes all the rest of the judgments that are coming. Okay, so out of the seventh seal comes seven trumpet judgments. And we're going to talk about the first four of these this week. Next week we'll look at trumpet five, trumpet judgment five. And then we'll see trumpet judgment six. Then when we get to trumpet judgment seven, it does the same thing. It's like a telescoping effect. So you have the seven seals. The seventh seal includes the seven trumpet judgments. And the seventh trumpet judgment includes the seven bowl judgments. Okay, you, you'll, I think you'll start to see it as we unfold all those. But what you need to understand right now is that the seventh seal includes these seven judgments that we're going to begin looking at this morning. Let's begin in verse 1 by looking at the seriousness of the coming trumpet judgments. The reason I say seriousness is because of the last half of the verse. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. What were the sounds in heaven before this seventh seal was broken? Turn to chapter 4, verse 8, and we'll see what kind of sounds there are in heaven. Chapter 4, verse 8. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings. This is John in chapter 4 describing God on His throne. He's talking about what's around the throne. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings and full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever. And they will cast their crowns before the throne. So what kind of sounds are there in heaven prior to the seventh seal being broken? It says there in verse 8 that day and night they do not cease to cry out to God, holy, holy, holy. These four living creatures are constantly giving praise to God. And whenever they give praise to God, the 24 elders who represent, uh, I believe, the church, they fall down in worship before God as well. In chapters uh, 5 and chapter 7, we see that there's more of this happening. That, that myriads upon myriads of angels are doing the same sort of thing. And so you have all this crying out of praise to God. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. Until we get to the seventh seal. And then John, probably talking about a real time frame in our terms, says that there's silence for about a half an hour. 
complete silence in heaven. Now, why would it be silent? Why would it be silent? I think the end of this chapter, the the remainder of what we're going to look at, is going to answer that question. What happens in these first four judgments and in the judgments to come? There's great devastation on the earth, right? And so great judgment is coming upon the earth, greater than the first half of the tribulation. What is about to take place, by the way, begins the second half of the tribulation. The last three and a half years. And God takes no pleasure in it. These judgments are serious. Real people who are made in God's image are going to be destroyed. And God takes it seriously. Turn with me to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 33. It's towards the end of your Old Testament. Isaiah If you find Isaiah, it's back towards the back a little bit. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 33. I believe the heavenly creatures recognize the seriousness of the situation, which is why everyone is silent. Perhaps it's like if you've seen the picture of President Obama and his cabinet right before Osama bin Laden is killed, they're watching it on video. And in that meeting, there's a very somber tone, isn't there? No one is saying, Did you see the game last night? Or how's your daughter doing at college? They recognize the weight of this situation. Everybody's attention is is fixed on what is about to happen. Someone's life is going to be taken. Look at Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. God speaks to Ezekiel and He tells Ezekiel to tell the people, As I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? Our God is not a bloodthirsty God. He doesn't take out vengeance in the sense that we think about it to those who defy Him. He doesn't take pleasure According to Ezekiel verse chapter 33, verse 11, he doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. So turn back to Revelation chapter 8 because what's happening here, this silence, I believe, indicates that this is serious. That God is not quick to judge, but rather He is merciful. He's slow to judge. Slow to anger, we read about in the Psalms, and abounding in love. He has every right to destroy us the very instant we defy Him. And by the way, we were born defying Him. We hated God and all the things that that stand for God. God had every right to destroy us eternally. And yet He's patient with us, isn't He? And this silence in heaven recognizes that this judgment is coming and it is serious. Now, notice the preparation for the coming judgments in verses 2 through 6. 
preparation for the coming judgment. Verse 2, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. So, as a part of this seventh seal are these seven trumpet judgments. And part of the seventh seal includes these seven angels receiving seven trumpets, and they're about to blow. Now, what do the trumpets indicate? In, in the Old Testament, what, were the pur- what was the purpose of the trumpet? Well, certainly it was to make music, right? It was used to worship God in some cases. But also, it, it was used similarly to how we often use it, at least in, in centuries past, to announce war. It's a warning sound. And I believe what's happening here is before each one of these judgments, God is sending out a warning sound that this judgment is coming. And these wicked people actually have, I believe, an opportunity to repent. Which is what Ezekiel said, wasn't it? I don't want to kill them. I don't want them to die. I want them to turn to me. So turn from your sins. Turn and repent and I'll show you mercy. It's as if you just show the, the smallest sign of repentance. And I will, I will show favor to you, but, but you're so defiant against me. I don't want to destroy you. It's as if that struggle is going on in God's heart. And so these trumpets, I think, announce God's coming judgment. Now these first four that we're going to look at primarily focus on the devastation of the earth. Did you notice that? that the, burnt, the grass and the trees are burned up, the, the, the water turns into blood, there's darkness, all these things. Now the next three that we're going to look at, they primarily focus on the demonic powers that, that come into the world and are, are allowed to torment and to torture people. We'll look at those in the weeks to follow. But these first have a focus on the devastation that comes on the earth. Notice the prayers of the saints in verse 3. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer and, the, and much incense was given to him so that he might add to it the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. A censer is just an object that is used to hold hot coals for this burning incense. And... Um, This angel has the incense, according to verse 3, so that he can add to it the prayers of the saints. So the combination of of this incense, which I believe is literal incense that John sees, and the prayers of the saints combined go up before God and are a sweet-smelling sacrifice to Him. He enjoys that aroma. He, He loves to hear the prayers of His people. And particularly, these prayers are probably the prayers of those who are sitting in front of the altar we saw in chapter, uh, I believe it was chapter uh, 5. And that was uh, the tribulation martyrs. Actually, it was chapter 6. When we got to the fifth seal in chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, remember what the saints were praying for. They were saying, How long, O Lord? How long will you fail to avenge your blood? How long will it take until you do that? Because they recognized that they had been killed for the sake of God. And how long will you allow these people who oppose you and us to continue on? And so uh, this incense goes up as a sweet-smelling aroma to God along with the prayers of the saints. Verse 5 says that the angel 
took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth, and there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. So the judgments continue. The angel takes this censer that's filled with the hot coals and he fills it up with the fire from the altar and there's a vision of him throwing it down to the earth. Throwing the fire down. And what is the first trumpet judgment about? It's about hail and fire coming from the sky. But it's this throwing down of the fire is accompanied in verse 5 with thunder, lightning, and an earthquake. Which, as I mentioned in chapter 4, when we see those types of things in relationship to God, it shows His power. Right? When God comes, He doesn't kind of tiptoe around the corner and say, hey, how you guys doing? He comes with power, with thunder and lightning and earthquake to show that He is in control. Even those types of sounds and vision and, and, and uh, that picture of lightning is around His throne in chapter 4, verse 5. And so in verse 6, the seven angels prepare to, to, to sound the seven trumpets. The first trumpet begins in verse 7. The first sounded and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and they were thrown to the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. So this first judgment includes fire from heaven. Apparently fire that was actually came from the altar there in heaven. Now that doesn't sound like literal fire, does it? It sounds like it's symbolic of something. Like Some people have argued that it's a volcanic eruption. That it spews steam and water into the sky. The, the steam turns into hail and it falls to the earth along with the lava. But... Again, when we're looking at these, if the plain sense makes sense, then seek no other sense. So, if it makes sense that it's real fire, then we should take it as real fire. And the proof for that is, I believe, in the Old Testament. Can you think of any time in the Old Testament when fire came down from heaven? Okay, Sodom and Gomorrah, the best example of it, right? Fire and sulfur, burning sulfur coming down from heaven. It actually came down and literally burned up those cities. We have Elijah on the mountain, right? Where he asks for fire to come upon the altar. That comes down from heaven. We have in Egypt, the seventh plague, because Pharaoh would not let God's people go. Exodus chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. And what came from heaven? But hail and fire. So what we're looking at here in this first trumpet judgment is literal hail and literal fire. And it says there in verse 7 that it's mixed with blood. Now it's not likely, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense that blood would be coming from heaven. So this probably is symbolic, referring to the blood that comes from the hail and the fire. Right? And... um, so that's how I would, would understand these verses. Now notice the result in the second part of the verse, that a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Great devastation on the vegetation of the earth. All the green grass, it says, was burned up. Wherever there is green grass, it will be gone. And a third of the trees and a third of the earth will be burned up because of this fire that comes from heaven. 
The second trumpet judgment you see in verses 8 and 9. The second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning, like, burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. A third of the ships were destroyed. The key word in verse 8 is the word like. The second angel sounded and he doesn't say a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. He said something like a great mountain burning into this uh, was thrown into the sea. Okay, so remember, John is seeing things that perhaps he's never seen before. Well, in many cases, he's never seen them before. So he sees this this image of something that looks like a, a huge mountain that's on fire that's falling down from the sky. And I would take this to be some sort of meteorite from space that once it enters the Earth's atmosphere, it begins to, to burn up and, and it, it comes into the sea. And, and as a result of this judgment, it says in verse 9 that a third of the sea became blood. Now notice it doesn't say that a third of the sea became like blood. It says the third of the sea became blood. So there's no reason that we should think that this water... Uh, didn't turn into blood, to actual blood. After all, we have an example in the Old Testament again. The plagues of Egypt. Exodus 7, 20 and 21, when the water became blood in Egypt, right? As a result of this devastating judgment, a third of the creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. Apparently, this huge meteorite that hits the water created a huge tidal wave that goes over uh, a, a large portion of the world and destroys one-third of all the sea vessels. Imagine it. The third trumpet judgment is found in verses 10 and 11. The third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers and on the springs of the water. The name of the star is called Wormwood. This is a great star from heaven. Now we understand that if an actual star came, it would burn up the entire earth, right? Because the sun is, is an example of a star. And the stars are larger than the earth, so they couldn't technically fall onto the earth. So this is likely, again, some sort of meteorite. This time it's given a name. It's called Wormwood, verse 11. Wormwood from the Old Testament, if you uh, are familiar with the story where the children of Israel are leaving Egypt, okay, following the plagues. They're leaving Egypt. They're out in the wilderness and they come to waters that are bitter. They're in Marah, Exodus 15, verses 23 through 25. The waters were known as Wormwood, which means bitterness. And after that event people referred to Wormwood or they referred to judgment as Wormwood because it meant that God was bringing judgment down on His people. And so there's not a whole lot of difference, I believe, between the, third, uh, uh, between the second and the third judgments. I believe they're both meteorites. One falls on the sea. The difference is their result. One just harms all the things out in the sea, the, the ships, the creatures, the, the water turns to blood. But here, notice verse 11, the name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, that is bitter, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. 
Before, it was only the ocean life that was devastated. But here, it's now devastating the well-being of humans because now their water source is being affected. The source of drinking water, the, the streams, the rivers is becoming bitter. Now one of the ways to conquer an Old Testament city was to shut off the water supply. When conquering armies would come in and they would have they would have to try to breach some walls, the very first thing they would do was shut off the water supply because they recognized that that city would not be able to survive for a long time without water. And many people in fact would would surrender because of thirst. They didn't want to die of thirst. And here God is in a sense shutting off the water supply at least for a time so that a third of the waters become bitter and many people were told in verse 11 die because the waters were bitter. The fourth trumpet judgment, the final one we'll look at this morning, is found in verse 12. The fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck so that a third of them would be darkened and the day would not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. Both at day and at night, a third of the heavenly bodies were darkened. There was no light coming from it for, for, for at least a third of them. It could be that this is a result of the smoke that fills the air because of all the earthquakes that cause fires. Um, it could be an eclipse of the sun. Okay, if we want to take this figuratively, but but do we have an example of darkness happening in the Old Testament where this could be taken literally? Right? The ninth plague of Egypt. Isn't it interesting that each one of these point back to the people of Israel and their exodus? One and two, hail and fire, and then the uh, the water turning to blood. First and second trumpet judgment. That refers to the plagues. Then here, with with the darkness coming on the earth, that that points us back to the plague. And then the third one, the third trumpet judgment, points us to the wilderness following the plague. It's as if God is saying, "You've seen this before." I'm serious about your sin. I'm serious about my holiness and my fame. And I'm going to make this clear through judgment. So we have darkness that comes upon the earth. Now there are all sorts of ways we can try to explain it, but, but ultimately we have to recognize that this is a supernatural work of God. All these events... God is working in a miraculous way. Sometimes He does... I shouldn't say all. I should say many times He works in miraculous ways here in the tribulation. Sometimes He works providentially through normal means. But here I believe it's supernatural. Just like in Egypt. Remember, Israel was not in darkness during that time, were they? It says there in Exodus 10.21-23 that Israel had light in their home. So somehow they still had light while the rest of Egypt was so dark that you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. Verse 13, an eagle comes and gives us a commentary on the trumpet judgments. It says, Then I looked, John 
is recording this. And I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Turn to chapter 19, verse 17, because the first question we need to ask, answer is what is mid-heaven? It says that an angel is flying in mid-heaven there in verse 13. And this word mid-heaven is used only two other times in all of Scripture. One is in chapter 14, verse 6, but the, the second one I think is more helpful here in chapter 19, verse 17. I'll show you how it's used here. Then I saw an angel, chapter 19, verse 17, standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come assemble for the great supper of God. Where do birds reside? Okay, when they're flying around, they reside in the sky. So look at verse 17 again. To all the birds which fly in, we would say, the sky, here it says mid-heaven. So turn back to chapter 8. Because in verse 13, it's talking about an eagle flying in the sky, in mid-heaven. Probably at the, the, the center of the sky, the, the top, where, where the sun would be at high noon. The eagle's there at the center of the sky in order to, to gain a hearing. He wants to be able to speak to all these people. And so he goes up to the center of the sky, and here's what he says. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet. How could an eagle talk? And maybe this is referring to something else. But again, we have Old Testament examples of God using animals and allowing them to speak. So, uh, Balaam's donkey, for example, or the serp serpent in the garden. Um, so here, this is probably a literal eagle flying in the sky and making this announcement. What, what, is, what is this three woes he's talking about? What, is it, what does woe mean? Look at what is so woeful. Look in your Bibles there. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet. Let me show you these three blasts. Chapter 9, verse 12. There's three blasts of the trumpet that are coming. It makes sense, right? Because we've already looked at the first four blasts of the trumpet. We've seen those. But the eagle comes and says, this is going to be even more woeful than what you've seen. Here's the first one, chapter 9, verse 12. After, he, after the fifth trumpet is blow, blown, here's the commentary on it, verse 12. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still to come. They're still coming after these things. And then verse 11, or chapter 11, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 14. After the sixth trumpet, this is the commentary. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming. And then that woe picks up later on uh, with the seventh trumpet, which is actually the seven uh, bold judgments. So what the eagle is talking about here is the last three trumpet judgments. He says, woe to the, first, to the next judgment, which is the fifth judgment. Woe to the sixth judgment. And woe to the seventh judgment. You thought those, la those first four were bad? You thought the previous six seals were bad? What you're about to see is going to be even worse. Now, if you were paying attention 
throughout this chapter, you notice that there was one uh, fraction, fraction of a number that's repeated over and over again. What was it? One third, right? We have a third of of the skies being darkened. We have a third of of uh, of the waters being turned to blood. A third of the earth being burned up, and so on. And and in the sixth trumpet, we're going to see that a third of the man of mankind dies. And why was why would this specific fraction be repeated so often? I think the point is that these judgments are not over. That if God wanted to, He could destroy everything. He doesn't have to limit it to one-third, but He could destroy it all. But He's allowing human life to continue at least two-thirds of it because He's not finished. And I believe the reason He's not finished is because there are still more people that are going to repent. That God desires that all men come to repentance. So, I started by saying that these questions get more and more serious. And as we come to these disturbing images, prophecies that are truly going to happen, and I can guarantee you that they become more disturbing, we have to ask the question, what is God doing? Why all this devastation? A man who writes commentaries, John Walverd, wisely notes, that God is withdrawing many of the things that we as humans take for granted. In these first four judgments, it's vegetation, calm skies, clean water, sunshine. God's taking it away for a time because He wants to make it clear to people that are living at this time that that He really is in control. That these judgments will be so dramatic and unmistakable to the people who are living on the earth that they will know that God is in control. They can't ignore it any longer. To explain it away to fate. Or that's just the world, the way the world evolved. They can't explain it that way anymore. They're going to see that there truly is a God who is controlling all of these things when He takes some of these things a way that we take for granted. Who did the Egyptians think was controlling the world before the plagues? Who? They're false gods, right? The sun god, Ray. They had all these names for all these different false gods. Turn to Exodus chapter 9, the second book in your Bible. Exodus chapter 9, because I want to show you that the reason God delays, He could have just picked up the people of Israel and pulled them out of Egypt. But He didn't. Because He had a purpose. I want to show you that in Exodus chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9, verse 12. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and did not listen. And he, Pharaoh, did not listen to them. That is Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So Moses and Aaron come before Pharaoh and says, let, they say, let my people go. Let God's people go. This is what God has said. Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to do it. Then the first plague comes. And he says, okay, I'll do it. Just stop doing those things. And Moses does it again. Let my people go. And, and Pharaoh hardens his heart. And, and it happens over and over and over again. Verse 13. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. So one of God's purposes in these plagues is to so that the people of Israel can be released. Verse 14. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, that is, on Egypt, and your servants and on your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would then have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. You see what God says there in verse 15? I could have, if I wanted to, I could have wiped you clean. and have wiped you out. But you would have been gone. You wouldn't have seen my glory, but here's why I kept you here, some of you. So that you would see my greatness, my glory, verse 16, in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name that I'm doing these things, not the gods of this earth. They're all false gods. They don't really exist. They really can't do anything. When the people in the tribulation see these devastating judgments, what God wants them to see, I believe, is that He is powerful, and that He is great, and that He must be submitted to. The purpose of these trumpet judgments that are very plague-like is very similar to the purpose that God had for the people in Egypt. He wanted to clearly show these wicked people who He was and why would God do this? Is He trying to rub it in their face? Is He trying to say, Egypt, see, I am God. Now, now die. Listen to this. The reason that God wants to delay and to show these people His greatness is not so that they can continue to reject Him, but so that they would repent. God is merciful even in this tribulation judgment that seems so devastating, that seems so out of character from who God is. God is merciful. He's slow to patience. He's abounding in love. He's slow to judge. These judgments, when you read them and study them, should be terrifying to you. But these are only the beginning. And they will get much much worse, as the eagle says. It's hard to imagine that these catastrophic judgments will come, but the Scriptures are clear that they will happen. And so I would encourage you not to wait until God's judgments come. Not to wait until it's clear in all the skies that God exists. But to repent now. And to repent, as we saw in Ezekiel, simply means to turn to Him. Turn away from your sin. Turn to God. And He will give mercy. That's what kind of God we serve. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at Your holiness. We recognize that You cannot stand sin. and It must be judged. 
but you also don't take pleasure in judgment. You don't take pleasure. You do in the sense that that it highlights your holiness, but you don't in the sense that people will be destroyed. People who are made in your image. And so you have given them time. You have given us time. It's amazing to think that we were rebels of yours. We hated you. We were your enemies, and yet you were patient with us. You didn't strike us when we first rebelled. When we first defied you, you gave us time. And perhaps there's someone in here who is still in rebellion against you and who still needs some more time. May you use this sermon today to be a way in which you speak to them. Show them their need to turn in faith to you. To turn from their sin. Father, we want to we want to magnify Your name. We want to see Your name magnified. We want to see Your power. We want to see You change hearts and lives starting with their own. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.